The following message entitled, Shining Lights in a Hostile World, part four of the series, Joy Inexpressible, was given by Mark Altrogi on December 7, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Morning, everybody. My name is Mark Altrogi. If this is your first Sunday, welcome. Really glad you're here. Thanks for coming. <clears throat> All right. Well, this morning, if you could please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning's message is called Shining Lights in a Hostile World. Shining Lights in a Hostile World. And I've had the opportunity to travel to Sri Lanka a couple times with some fellow pastors to do some teaching over there. And uh, in case you don't know it, Sri Lanka is a small island off the tip of India. It used to be called Ceylon. It's where tea comes from. And uh, once when I went there, um, I was supposed to travel with other guys, but uh, I was delayed by a couple days and had to travel by myself. And when I arrived, there was no one waiting for me in the airport. Usually there would be somebody standing there with a sign with my name on it or a pastor that I knew from the local church. But because I was a couple days after the other guys, there was no one there. And as I looked around this crowded airport, in Sri Lanka, I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. I was dressed differently than everybody in the whole place. Um, I felt like everyone could immediately tell that I was an American by my dress and could have been the fact that I was wearing an American flag and an Uncle Sam hat. <laughs> no, I wasn't, but I felt like I was. I, I, I felt like I stood out so much from everybody else. I might as well have been wrapped in an American flag, wearing an Uncle Sam hat. I didn't know exactly how everybody there felt about Americans. I thought it's possible some might be hostile to our country. Eventually, I did make it to the hotel with no problems, but I'll never forget that feeling of being a stranger in a strange land. And God's Word says that believers in Jesus Christ are sojourners and exiles and strangers in this world. So how are we supposed to live as strangers in a strange land? And our passage this morning tells us. So we're going to begin, 1 Peter 2, begin at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors 
as sent by Him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us this morning. Speak to us through Your Word, by Your Spirit, and change us. Help us to live as sojourners and exiles in this life in such a way as to bring You glory and honor before the world, Lord. Just pray You would help me to preach and help us all to be applying this to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the first thing Peter tells us as sojourners and exiles in this world is that we should abstain from the passions of the flesh. Beloved, verse 11, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And he, he starts off by saying, Beloved, beloved, I urge you. Beloved. And this wasn't just a, a phrase he was using. And he didn't know all these people most likely personally because he was writing to a whole region of Christians. But he says, you're beloved. You are loved by God. I'm urging you to live like this because of how much God loves you. He wants the best for you. He loves you. And He has demonstrated that love by sending His Son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And so because He loves you, I'm urging you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And we just need to remember this from time to time, it's just so good to be reminded that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through. This morning as we were, as we were singing, I, I closed my eyes 
I was, I was just singing along with all of you, and the, the thought just came to my mind that what if I opened my eyes and suddenly found myself in heaven? It's not going to be long. It's not going to be long. It's going to be the blink of an eye. Our lives will be over. And there have been folks from our church who, are, who have gone, and they're, they're there now. Steve Murphy, and my mom, and, and others have gone ahead. And, and I just had that thought. It just went through my mind for one second. just pictured Steve worshiping God at the throne of God. I just thought, this, this is just momentary. And Steve knows that, and my mom knows that, and others who have gone before know that. They know that this is just momentary, and they would say to us, don't invest yourselves there. Don't, don't live for that world. If you knew what we're experiencing here, you're, you're strangers there. That's not your home. And we need to be reminded of that. This is just a temporary situation. And so, he, and so Peter says, because, because this is just temporary, abstain from passions, sinful passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't, don't give in to something that, that is appealing to you momentarily, but is going to destroy your soul. It's going to bring you real spiritual harm if you give in to the sinful passions of your flesh. Before Jesus saves someone, we are wholeheartedly living in our flesh. And, and the, the Bible at times uses the word flesh to describe our sin nature. It's mankind apart from God. And we, as unbelievers, we're just totally giving in to the sinful passions of our, of our flesh. But now we don't have to do that anymore. We're still tempted. We're still tempted to give in. At times those, those temptations feel so strong. But Peter says, don't give in. Abstain. Don't yield to those. Paul says, Timothy, flee temptation. Get as far away from it as you can. Don't get as close to the edge of the cliff as you can. Don't flirt with it. Abstain. Put it to death. Paul describes it as, as killing those desires. Deny yourself. Don't do them. Why? Because this is only temporary, but they wage war against your soul. We, we can at times we can be tempted. One of the lies of the enemy is, oh, this isn't going to hurt you very much. Oh, you can just repent. No. It, it's, it's the Word of God says, these passions wage war war against our soul. They want to kill the life of Jesus in us and destroy us forever. And so remember, we're just passing through here. And so that's, that's the, the first urging that Peter gives us as strangers, as sojourners, as exiles living in a world that's only temporary. That's kind of the negative. That's kind of the put off. Now, he says, here's, here's the put on. Here's what I want you to do to live in this world. He says, live honorably among unbelievers. And so in verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
So he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, when, when Peter refers to Gentiles, he's referring to unbelievers. He means people who don't believe in Jesus. Because the, what happens, the Bible says, is that Christians are the new people of God. Christians are the new Israel. And so Peter is referring to unbelievers as Gentiles. And he says, it matters how you live in the world. It matters how you act on your job. It matters how you act with your relatives who are unbelievers this Christmas. It matters how you act in the grocery store. It matters how we act in our neighborhoods. And we are to be aware of that. That, that unbelievers are watching. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to, we're to be conscious of the way we act around unbelievers at IUP, in your classes. You're to be different if you're a believer in Jesus. You're to let your light shine in some way through your works, through your lives. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We do, whenever we get an opportunity, we want to share the Gospel. We want to present with our words the Gospel. But Peter is saying, our conduct is a witness. Our lives are a witness. The way we act around our unbelieving relatives or family members is a way of witnessing to them. It's letting our light shine. And it says, when others see our good works, they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Somehow they will know it is the power of God that has changed us. So we're to live in this world as representatives of heaven. We're to, we're as, as sojourners and exiles, we're to represent the homeland. We're ambassadors, it says in, in another place. We're ambassadors for Christ. Last summer, Christy and I had a, just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, opportunity to go to Ireland for eight days with another couple who are friends of ours. And uh, my friend Bo did some research before we took our trip to find out what kinds of things Americans should not do in Ireland. Because you, you, you go to another country and you, you don't know what they're habits are. One of the things is that you don't want to mention Ireland's economy. Ireland's really struggling, really hurting economically. They're really glad for tourists bringing their business to their country, but they don't like it when you say, hey, how's the economy in Ireland doing? Bad. Don't do that. And so there were just different things that he researched because when you go somewhere else, you are representing your nation as, in a way. You know, and, and I have a friend who's a pastor in, in England, and he says that the English perceive Americans as a bunch of arrogant, loud-mouthed cowboys. Hey, how are you British people doing since you lost the war to us? <laughs> 
That's a really funny joke in England. They love it when you talk about them losing the Revolutionary War. That's their perception. That's, that's their perception. My friend in England says, this is the way English people think about Americans. A bunch of loud mouths. Arrogant. So, when I've, I've had a couple of chances to go to England, and when I have gotten these opportunities, I try to remember, I, I want to be a good representation of Americans. I don't want to be a loudmouth cowboy. I don't want to be sitting in the restaurant saying, Hey, you only gave me two ice cubes. What's the matter? You're running low here? I mean, they're really cheap with their ice in England. I don't know what it is. Can't get enough ice in a glass. Don't you have enough refrigerators over here? But I try to restrain myself to not say things like that because I know they think from the get-go I'm a loudmouth cowboy, arrogant. So anyway, I, I'm conscious when I'm there to some degree that I am representing our country. Well, in, in, a, in a much, much more serious way, in a much deeper way, we should be conscious that we represent the kingdom of God. If we're believers, we, we are living in a world that is watching us. Oh, and the world loves it when Christians are hypocrites. Oh, they love it. That's why he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. See, if, if when Christians fail and have moral failures and when, when, when it hits the news that TV evangelists have fallen into sin, oh, unbelievers say, see, See, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Christians are no different than anybody else. Well, I, I want to prove the world to the world that we are different as much as we can by God's grace. And so Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do you shine as a light in the world, in a dark world? By doing all things without grumbling or questioning. We live in a world of grumbling and questioning. In fact, one of the trips I took to England once, I bought a book about how, you know, the English, habits of the English. And, and you, you, first of all, you don't want to ever come across too friendly with them. You don't, you don't ever say in England, Hi, my name's Mark. What do you do? I, I'm a pastor. What do you do? No, no. The way you start a conversation in England is by complaining about the weather or the traffic. That's, that's the way you do it. You just start complaining. And that's the way our world is. Isn't that true? Isn't, isn't that the way you, 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 you relate to people when you're standing in line in the store? Man, this is the longest line I've ever been in my life. You know, and you, you meet somebody you haven't seen for a while. Man, isn't this hot? Isn't it hot today? Man, this weather stinks. I wanted to get a deer today. I couldn't, couldn't see any tracks. You know, we, we live in a world of complaining. And Paul says, if you want to shine as a light, do all things without grumbling or question that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. This is how children of God act. We do all without grumbling or complaining. Now, now those illustrations I gave might be funny, but tomorrow when you go to work, are you going to grumble and complain when everybody else is grumbling and complaining? Are you going to grumble and complain around the water cooler or wherever you hang out at work? 
Are you going to grumble about your prof tomorrow in class when you get your homework assignments? Teenagers do all things without grumbling or complaining. Ah! (laughs) Obey your dads and moms. Do all things. Do all things. Clean your room without grumbling or complaining. Now you can only do this by the power of Jesus Christ. I know. Do all things. I've had a little minor, teeny opportunity to get my character tested lately. My wife Christy had foot surgery and has had to keep her foot up for like three weeks. And I'm proud to tell you, I cooked the Thanksgiving turkey. And it turned out alright. Nobody died of food poisoning. But I had an opportunity to try to do all things without grumbling or complaining because Christy had a lot of times she needed stuff. Mark, would you mind making me a cup of coffee? Sure, I'd be happy to. Oh, Mark, I'm sorry, I forgot my glasses upstairs. Would you mind going up to get them? Sure, go upstairs, get my glasses. Oh, Mark, I'm sorry, I left a book upstairs too. (laughs) Okay, Christy. Anything else I can do? And, and, and really, that's a nothing. That's a peewee. And Christy is not demanding at all. But the just peewee little experience of not grumbling in my heart. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Questioning. Why does this have to happen to me? Why am I getting this now? Why doesn't my boss do this? All things without grumbling or questioning. Why? So that we can be lights because the world is watching us. I, I bet more people know that you're, you're a Christian than you're aware. They, they should know you're a Christian if you're hanging around with them for any length of time. People you work with, if you've been there for any length of time, they should know you're a Christian somehow from your, from your life. Why don't you join in with the slander? Why don't you laugh when somebody tells a dirty joke? You know, we, we have family member, we have a family member who we, they're, they're not Christians and we only see them once or twice a year at family gatherings. And when they come, they, they know where I stand. And they're not asking me to tell, the, tell them the gospel. So I, the only opportunity I have is once or twice a year at one meal. And so I, I just think to myself, I, Lord, give me the grace today. I want to go all out trying to serve them, take an interest in them. I want, to, I want to be the biggest servant in the house. If you can help me to do this, Lord, I want to be as cheerful as I can, not in some fake way, but as genuinely joyful. Because this is the only chance I'm going to have. I pray that God will open up opportunities to share the Gospel with them, but I don't get them usually with these certain family members. So as much as much as we can, let's let our light shine. But even though we do, we will still be criticized. And so Peter says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Unbelievers will criticize us. They will speak against us. 
They'll accuse us. But God says, if we live honorably among them, they'll see our good deeds and glorify God on the day He returns. They'll, they'll say, Lord, You really did change them. I could see by their lives You were real. One source I read says that when unbelievers see our good deeds, it's a powerful witness And many of them will be saved and they too will glorify God with praise on the day when He returns. So Peter's Peter's given us this general principle and then he lays out some specific situations in which we're to glorify God with our lives. And we're going to hit two of them this morning. We're to submit to the government. Well, actually we'll hit three. Submit to the government. Slaves submit to masters. And we're to suffer unjustly in a God-glorifying way. And so he says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Romans 13 says that God is the one who establishes governments. And so we are therefore to submit to our government. We are to submit to every human institution. He says, submit to the emperor. And submit to governors. He says, God gives them to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is what governments are supposed to do. They don't always do it. But this is why God establishes governments. To punish evil. And I'm so grateful for our police. I'm grateful for John Scherf. I'm grateful for those in our town who are acting on behalf of the government, we're to submit to them. Because the way we relate to the government is a reflection on the Lord. It says we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he says, subject yourself, submit to the emperor. You know who the emperor was when Peter wrote this? Nero. He was a wicked, wicked man. Killed his own family members. And Peter says, submit to him and obey his laws. Now, we're not, we're not supposed to obey the government if it tells us to do something that is contrary to what Jesus tells us to do. And so in the book of Acts, we see the leaders commanding the apostles not to preach the gospel, and they say, sorry, we've got to obey God rather than man. But we are to submit to the government. And he says, why? Because this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. They'll they'll accuse Christians. And so as we're living in our private lives in an honorable way, living in an honorable way with the people we work, and obeying our governments, they'll have nothing to accuse us of. We don't submit to our government because we like it. We don't submit to our government because we think it's doing a great job. 
Paul or uh, Peter didn't say, submit to the government if you like every law they pass. Submit to the government if you think they're going in a good direction. No, he says, submit to them. For the Lord's sake and for the sake of our witness. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He says, you really are free. You're free from the power, the dominion, the slavery of sin. And live as free people. But don't be hypocrites. He says, don't, don't use it as a cover-up for evil. Don't say, oh, I'm not going to be punished. Jesus has taken all my punishment so I can do whatever I want. No, that's a bad witness. He says, live as servants of God under the governments. And then verse 17, he says, honor everyone. We're to honor every human being. Because they're created in the likeness of God. The image of God. We're to honor people we don't care for. We're to honor people who are different than us. We're to honor everyone. We're to honor poor people. We're to honor people we wouldn't normally like. We're to honor those in other political parties than we think are the best party. We're to honor all men. We're to love the brotherhood. A special love for those who are in the kingdom of God. Our Christian brothers and sisters. We're to fear God. That means worship Him. Tremble before Him. That, that He is the ultimate, ultimate One. The supreme One in the universe. We're to fear Him. And we don't fear the emperor, but we're to honor the emperor. We're to live our lives as strangers and sojourners in this world in the fear of God, knowing that if I just willfully give in to sin, God takes that very seriously and He will deal with it. It's not a, it's not a slavish, cowering fear like I'm afraid God is just going to strike me down at any minute. But it's, it's living this life knowing that God is holy. And that we will stand before Him someday. Now, when we say we honor the emperor and honor our government, it doesn't mean that, that there's uh, no room for healthy debate. We can debate. We can, we can disagree. But I've, I've seen people who disagree with the government and the way they talk about our president is in a very dishonoring way, a mocking way. And I say, is that the way Christians should talk about him? I, I'm not crazy about lots of stuff that our government does or that our president would be promoting at all. But should I mock him? No. We're to honor the emperor. Were they to mock Nero? No, they were to honor him. Now he says, slaves, submit to masters. So he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
This, this is radical. In Peter's day, slaves and servants could, could really be mistreated by their masters. Some were good, he says. But he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That's incredible. I mean, I'm supposed to respect, I'm supposed to submit to him, I'm supposed to work hard for this guy when he is unjust in the way he treats me? Yes. Do all things without grumbling or complaining because you're shining as a bright light even if your master is unjust. And he says, why? Why should I do this? Because he says, it reflects on the grace of God and you'll be rewarded. He says, if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is evidence of God's grace and He will reward you for it. And then he says, later he says, what credit is it? In other words, what reward are you going to get if you sin and are punished for that? And you endure. So, wow, how... I really endured a lot of punishment. Well, you deserved it. You ripped your master off. And so when he's saying the gracious thing, it's, it's a balance to when he's saying, what credit is it? So he's saying, if you live in a godly way and you have an unjust master and you respond and you endure suffering even when you do good and are punished for it, that glorifies God. That's evidence of the grace of God. That's a gracious thing. And it, it, it is a credit to you and God will honor you and bless you for doing that. And you may say, well, we don't have slavery. Well, how many of you have ever thought, I feel like a slave going to work? My boss is a slave driver. You ever said that? You know, you could have an unjust boss or a miserable work situation. You could have co-workers who treat you unkindly. You work as hard as you can. You put in extra hours. You work with more integrity than everybody else. And then the boss promotes someone else above you. You could be tempted to just slander that boss. Peter says, no. No. If you even suffer unjustly in your work situation, you honor your boss. You keep working hard because you're serving the Lord. We could say the same, could say the same thing in, in, a, in a marriage. Wife could say, yeah, I just do all I can in this marriage and my husband is just unappreciative. And... No, you, you keep serving the Lord. You keep serving your husband. Husbands, you keep serving your wives. You keep going upstairs and getting those glasses for them. You keep bringing the book down. You keep cooking that turkey. <laughs> Cheerfully, without grumbling or questioning. And then, here's something for all of us. Well, Peter takes this idea of the slave suffering unjustly and expands it to all Christians. All of us will suffer unjustly at one time or another. And so, he says in verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Oh, great. 
When I became a Christian, I thought I was getting called to an easy life. I thought everything was going to go good. Now you tell me as a Christian what my calling is to suffer? Yep. You're to imitate Christ in the way He suffered. Our suffering is different than Christ's suffering because He suffered the wrath of God and He atoned for sins and He was completely innocent and He had no need to suffer. He should not have been punished. When we suffer, we're not suffering God's wrath. Let me just tell you that right now. Let me just get this straight. When things go wrong in your life in any way and you're suffering, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God is not punishing you. Some people think, oh, what did I do wrong? Why is everything happening wrong? Is God punishing me? I can guarantee you, you're not being punished. Because all your punishment was absorbed by Jesus Christ. But we will suffer. God says in Hebrews that, that our, our loving Heavenly Father will discipline us at times and it's painful at times. We suffer because we're living in a fallen world. We suffer because that's our call. We're called to be like Jesus. And He was slandered. He was mocked. He was abused by people who rejected Him. We will suffer abuse and rejection at times. We will suffer unjustly. And so, that's what Peter says here. You're to follow in His steps. You're to, you're to suffer, you're to respond the way Jesus did. And in verse 22 it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. He was innocent. He never sinned and yet He suffered. So, we're going to suffer too. We're not, as, we're not innocent like Jesus. We actually deserve to suffer. But, we will suffer unjustly at times. And so, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus respond to unjust treatment? And maybe right now you're thinking, boy, I, there is this person at work who just picks on me. There is this person, in my, this prof in, my, in this one class, he just does not like me. I had a prof like that in, in school. He just did not like me insulted me in front of the class a couple times. My parents, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian, but my parents gave me good advice. They said, never talk back to a prof, no matter what he says. But we'll all experience it. And so, how do we do it? Verse 23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was reviled. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was spit on. Jesus was slapped. Have you ever had anybody spit on you? It's possible a couple people in the church have. I've never had anybody who hated me so much they spit on me. I've had some people who probably wanted to spit on me, but they didn't. Jesus was spit on. But He didn't revile back. He said, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When He suffered, when He was hanging on the cross and they're mocking Him, He wasn't saying, hey, you just wait till I rise from the dead. I'm coming to your house. Now, Jesus didn't revile back. 
He, he was silent as a lamb, it says. When we're treated unjustly, we, we are tempted to think about revenge. We're thinking about, later on, we're thinking, oh, I should have said this. Oh, next time I see him, I'm going to say this. Jesus didn't revile in return. In marriage, when one spouse feels reviled, he or she can be tempted to revile back. Oh yeah, you say that about me? What about this? What about you? We're not to revile back. But that's only half of the way Jesus responded. How did He do this? How could He do this? How could Jesus not threaten Not revile, because here is His secret. And here is the secret Peter gives us for all that we've been talking about. Here's the secret for how to live with an unjust master. Here's the secret for how to live with a terrible emperor. Here's the secret. He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That is the secret. He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Jesus looked past all the mockers. Jesus looked past all the people spitting on Him. And He entrusted Himself to His heavenly Father, to Him who judges justly. That's why Jesus didn't have to threaten. Because He knew that His Father would judge all things someday. There is a God who someday will right every wrong. If you're treated unjustly in class or on your job or wherever, in whatever situation, you have a relative who treats you unjustly, don't revile back. Trust God to Him who judges justly. God is not going to let one sin escape. Every single sin will be dealt with. Every single sin ever committed will be either covered by the blood of Jesus and forgiven, or it will be punished in the judgment of God. And we we should hope that those who sin against us will have their sins covered by the blood of Jesus. But we know that God is going to take care of it. God is not going to let there be injustice in the world and in our lives. And we have to keep entrusting Him. That's the way to suffer unjustly. You may say, oh, you, 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 don't know what my, you don't know what my kids do to me. You don't know what my teenagers do to me. You don't know what this person at work does to me. Keep trusting God. If you suffer unjudge, unjustly, don't revile back. Don't threaten. Keep trusting Him who judges justly. Are you doing that? Are you trusting and trusting yourself to Him? That's what we need to do. Wives, if, you're, if you're, you feel your husband is unjust with you, keep entrusting yourself to Him who judges justly. That's the secret. That's what Jesus did. So let's stand and let's pray. Let's have the band come up. Lord, Lord Jesus, this is, a, this is a challenging passage You gave us, Lord. 
but we want to please you with our lives. Lord, I pray for everyone in this church and in this room, Lord, who is suffering in some way unjustly. They've tried their best to bless another person and this person just spits on them. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would pour out Your grace. I pray You would give every one of us, Lord, Your grace to live in honorable ways in our, in our lives in whatever situation we find ourselves in because we want to glorify You, Jesus. Help us to let our light shine so that others will see it and glorify You. And Lord, we just admit right now we can't do this in our own strength. But we thank You that by Your power we can. Lord, help everyone here who's struggling with the passions of the flesh that are waging war against their souls. Help them to abstain and turn away right now. And Lord, for those who don't know You yet, would You just please bring them into the knowledge of You. We ask all this in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.